great banquet at Susa. For 180 days, half a year, he shows off the vast wealth of his kingdom. He shows off the splendor of his majesty. Uh, and he prepares uh, for uh, an attempt, a second attempt by the Persian Empire uh, to invade Greece. Uh, in terms of where this fits in Xerxes' reign, uh, this banquet, this uh, large event, is held just before that invasion. Uh, and so he gathers all of his military leaders to uh, prepare for that. Um, and perhaps you need to get your military leaders drunk for 180 days in order to convince them that a second attempt to conquer the Greek Empire was a good idea. Xerxes' empire was huge. Uh, it stretched from Libya uh, and Ethiopia and parts of what is now Greece in the west, uh, all the way through to Afghanistan in the east. It includes modern-day Iran, Turkey, Egypt, Syria, Israel, Georgia, Jordan, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan and Pakistan, as well as parts of Bulgaria, Romania and Ukraine and all of the countries in between. Uh, in a fortress in Turkey, archaeologists found an inscription dating to the time of Xerxes. This is how he describes himself. I am Xerxes, the great king, the king of kings, the king of the lands, the king of all the languages, king of the great and large land, the son of King Darius, the Achaemenian. Xerxes, at least according to himself, is great. And he had great wealth at the palace in Susa, uh, we see one of the great palaces of the world. Uh, he throws a banquet for the entire citadel of Susa, uh, a lush garden with white uh, and blue and purple linen, silver rings on marble pillars, couches of gold and silver, a pavement of costly stones, abundant wine in unique goblets of gold with no restrictions. Again, archaeologists working at Susa have uncovered extensive evidence of exactly uh, these types of things in the palace at Susa. Beautiful mosaics, decorative panels, iconic pieces of ancient world art that would have lined the walls of the palace. And what Xerxes does is he pulls out all the trophies that he and his predecessor kings before him have taken from the various parts of the ancient world that the Persian Empire had conquered, uh, and he puts them on show. He wants to show that he is the great king, he is rich. Uh, he wants to demonstrate his generosity. Uh, 180 days of generosity to his nobles and military leaders, uh, and then seven days of generosity to the entire population in and around the palace, uh, the citadel immediately outside the palace in Susa. Not only did Xerxes have great wealth, he had great ambition. I've already spoken about his plans to invade Greece. He wanted to succeed where Darius, the previous king, had failed. Ruling the greatest empire the world had ever known at that time was not enough for Xerxes. He wanted more. He wanted to rule the entire known world. Xerxes is, by all earthly measures, a great king. Uh, but as we see in the book of Esther, Xerxes is also a deeply flawed king. Firstly, as much as he might appear to have great power, he is not in control. He's not in control of his kingdom. We saw, as Rod read in chapter 3, that he's given his signet ring, the thing that signifies his power and that enables him to issue decrees and laws to Haman, the son of Hamadatha. He's not in control of his guards. In a part that Rod didn't read, uh, Mordecai, Esther's uncle, uh, uncovers a plot to assassinate the king uh, and foils that plot. 
Xerxes is not in control of his own decisions. Have you noticed in the parts that Rod read that Xerxes rarely makes a decision in this narrative? He is a passive player in a bigger story. When Vashti defies him, he asks the nobles, according to the law, what must be done. Uh, when he wants to come up with a plan to find a new queen, he asks others what he ought to do. Uh, when Haman uh, comes up with a plot to kill the Jews, he allows Haman to make that decision. He's not in control of his decisions. He's not in control of his family. As we saw in chapter 1, when he commanded Vashti, the queen, uh, to, serve, uh, to stand before all the nobles to show off her beauty, uh, she refused. Xerxes is not in control of his emotions. Uh, when the attendants deliver Vashti's response to that inappropriate request uh, to be paraded in front of the nobles, Xerxes' rage uh, enlarges uh, and he becomes angry. Uh, similarly, in Esther chapter 7, uh, when he discovers that Haman has plotted to kill the Jews, uh, he gets up in a rage uh, and walks out. Uh, and in both examples, Xerxes' emotions can only be soothed in, in the first by having Vashti exiled, uh, and in, in the second by having Haman hung. Xerxes is not even in control of the laws within his own empire. Uh, Esther chapter 1. Let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed, uh, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. And again, when he uh, needs to work out what to do with Vashti, he consults the laws of his predecessors, which he, it seems, is powerless to change. Xerxes, uh, for all his greatness and wealth and ambition and power, is not in control. Uh, and I think that reflects us. In our, in our home group this, uh, this year, we've been working through uh, a book called None Like Him that describes all the ways in which we are not like God. Uh, and one of those ways is we too are not in control. Uh, we're not in control of our own uh, health. We're not in control of our own livelihoods. We're not in control of our own decisions at many times. Let's continue to look at Xerxes. Secondly, Xerxes is a user of people. This whole episode starts because Xerxes wants, does not treat his wife with love and respect, but he treats her as an object. Uh, and it continues because Xerxes is willing to treat tens of thousands of his subjects as objects, uh, willing to condemn them to death because one man claims that they are inconvenient, as Rod read for us in chapter 3. Uh, we live in a culture that teaches us to focus solely on ourselves, to treat others as objects, as indeed Xerxes treated his wife and his subjects as objects. It's very easy for us as Christians to point to examples where our society uh, encourages us to objectify others, particularly sexually. Uh, but what about economically? What about when we give preferential treatment to the rich and the powerful? What about in our attitudes towards other people? I fear that perhaps one of the most concerning ways in which we have, as a society and as even Christians, begun to objectify other people the way that Xerxes objectified people is when we disagree with them. Uh, instead of engaging with them as fellow creatures made in God's image, uh, we demonise them based on their views. Uh, just yesterday, I watched uh, a Facebook thread uh, devolve into naming, uh, name-calling 
sarcasm and, and very bad faith arguments about what the other person was actually saying, mischaracterizing their positions. Uh, unfortunately, this was not my non-Christian friends, this was Christian friends. Uh, when we fail to listen to people, when we assume that we know what they are thinking uh, and lump them into a category without engaging with them, do we not treat them like objects in the same way that Xerxes treated Vashti and the Jews as objects? Uh, instead, the Bible points us to a different path of how we're to treat people in Philippians chapter 2. Make my joy complete, Paul says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Has it ever occurred to you that each gift that God has given you can be used to treat others as objects or as fellow brothers and sisters made in God's image? Persuasive speech can be used to motivate, to encourage, to exhort, or to manipulate for our own gain. Our physical strength can be used to protect others or to take from others. Our intelligence can be used to help others or to control them. Whatever gifts, skills, or influence and power that we have can be used for others or used for ourselves. So we've seen that Xerxes was not in control. We've seen that he used people. Uh, he also makes bad decisions. He makes the bad decision under the influence of alcohol to parade his wife in front of hundreds of Persian nobles. Then, when he feels anger at her refusal, he makes the bad decision to banish her forever from his presence. Uh, in in uh, chapter 2, you can see in verse 1 uh, his implied regret at the decision to exile Vashti. Xerxes gathers around himself bad advisors. It is the advisors who encourage him to banish Vashti. It is his advisors who think it's a good idea to take uh, more than a thousand, possibly thousands, even tens of thousands of young women from all of the parts of his empire into his harem. It is Haman, his advisor, who thinks it is a good idea to attempt to destroy the Jews. Xerxes hands over, not once but twice, the symbol of his power, first to Haman uh, and then to Mordecai. Xerxes is too blind to see his folly and too naive that he has handed over power to do anything that Haman or Mordecai wants. The, the signet ring symbolizes the kingly power and it grants and conveys kingly authority. That's why, on Haman's command, not Xerxes' command, the dispatches were sent to all of the king's empire. Xerxes is a king who abdicates his responsibilities, who gathers around him bad advisors and who makes bad decisions, but there is a king who has not lost touch with his people. There is a king who has the best interest of his people in mind. Not like Xerxes, who, whose people are baffled as to what is going on. Uh, there is a king who lives for his people. There is a king who knows what his people want. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, what about you? When do you make bad decisions? When do you find yourself in situations where, like Xerxes, your emotions cause you to say and do things that you later regret? 
When do you gather around yourself bad advisors to support you in your foolish decisions? Uh, what about when you get something wrong? Xerxes refuses to change his mind. Uh, in, in fact, he keeps appealing to the laws of the Medes and Persians, uh, which apparently can never be repealed, but as we already saw in chapter 8, which can be overridden with subsequent decre decrees. Um, the reason those laws, it seems, could never be repealed is because it would imply that the king had got something wrong in the first place, and Xerxes cannot admit that. Uh, even when, as I said, he wants to undo the destruction he has leash, unleashed upon his people, he can't just cancel his order, he has to overrule it with another law that prevents the destruction. I wonder if we, like Xerxes at times, in our conversations, in our actions, and particularly in our hearts, might be unable to admit that we are flawed, not in control, that our motives might not be pure, or that we may have even made a mistake. Xerxes is a deeply flawed king, but as I said, there is a better king. Like Xerxes, this better king will be king over a vast empire, not just from India to Ethiopia, but over the entire world. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 13, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Like Xerxes, he is the king of kings. On his robe, in Revelation 19, and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Like Xerxes, he has great majesty. Hebrews chapter 1, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Like Xerxes, this king has a throne. Like Xerxes, he gives banquets, except this king's banquets last for eternity, not half a year. You see, Xerxes was, by earthly measures, a great king. But Jesus is a better king. A king who is worthy of respect. A king who does not use people, but loves people. A king who knows the needs of his people and delights to meet them. A king whose kingdom will never fade away as the Persian Empire faded away. Jesus is a king who offers redemption and forgiveness when we behave like Xerxes. When we forget that we are not in control. When we use other people instead of loving them, when we make bad decisions, Jesus is the king who holds his arms open for those who will humble themselves, admit their mistakes and seek forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And so in front of us, we have a choice between these two kings. Now, of course, we can't choose to be subjects of King Xerxes, and based on what you've seen in Esther, you probably wouldn't choose to do so, even if you could. But we can, and in fact, we do choose to be subject to the same things that King Xerxes was subject to. We choose to pursue wealth. We choose ambition. We choose to use other people. We choose to try and construct in our minds a world in which we are in control, rather than accepting that we are in a world in which we are not in control. We can pursue these Xerxes-like things, 
or we can pursue the perfect king, Jesus. Did you notice, for example, that Xerxes' response to being rebuffed by Queen Vashti was to try and make it a law that wives must respect their husbands? But being respected doesn't come from authority or from written laws. It comes from sacrificial love. And so we have a choice between the kind of approach that Xerxes took, compelling others to listen to us, or the approach that Jesus took, putting the needs of others above his own. Being respected by your family doesn't come from yelling at your children. It comes from sacrificial love towards them. Being respected by your colleagues doesn't come from loud leadership, but from a servant heart that resists the urge to react with anger or stubbornness. Being respected by your wife doesn't look like commanding her or husband, commanding her or him what to do, but responding with humility and grace, recognising who our real king is. And I want to encourage you today that our, our model ought to be this real king. Not King Xerxes, but the perfect king who says in Matthew 20, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Our model is this perfect king who in Philippians 2, we read, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, as, as we're going to see next week, there are characters in the book of Esther who show the kinds of virtues and attributes that we ought to pursue. But for now, as we look at Xerxes, we ought to be reminded of the choice that we have between the power and the control and the authority that this world encourages us to have and the real king, the true king, the perfect king, King Jesus. And I hope that we can see that it is only through pursuing King Jesus as our model that we can avoid being the kind of fool that Xerxes is. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, as we read the book of Esther, a book that uh, does not even name you, we can see you at work. We can see the temptation of earthly power and wealth and ambition. And we can see the folly of pursuing those things. And then as we look to Jesus, we can see the beauty, the majesty, the glory, the attractiveness of the way that you ask us to live. Father, thank you that in Jesus we have a king who does not issue decrees from above, uncaring about us as his people, but we have a king who has suffered as we suffer, has been weak as we are weak, and yet who overcame all sufferings and temptations that we might be restored to relationship with you. Father, help us to follow King Jesus uh, and help us to see in ourselves where we are being like Xerxes. Amen.